With your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg here, Matt Costa behind the controls, science advisor Matt Moniz as long as well. We have two special guests in the studio with us. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on because uh, tonight we're going to talk to, in the first hour, Belinda Nash, who is, if you've been following this story in the news, this is the woman from Virginia Beach, Virginia, who helped clear the name of Grace Sherwood, tried and convicted for being a witch. The only case in Virginia state history where someone was tried and convicted for being a witch back in uh, the 1600s. Belinda has been fighting for quite a long time to clear Grace Sherwood's name, and this week they have that done. They actually got an informal pardon from the governor, and now they're in the process of erecting a statue in her honor. We'll get into all of that with Belinda in just a few minutes. And then in hour number two, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk about something that we haven't talked about the last couple of weeks. We're going to talk about UFOs with Keith Kessner from the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society in advance of his open meeting lecture on the 28th of July. And also with him is Derek Bartlett, the president and founder of Capers. We'll talk about all the stuff they have going on right here in our own backyard. So, Matt, how are you? Good. Are you gonna, good? He, he doesn't turn yeah. his mic on because he doesn't talk. So he figures I don't really need to turn it on. And, uh, and Matt Moniz and I will share a microphone for the time being. Now, um, you got in touch, Matt Moniz, with uh, Tina Mattingly from Waverly Hills about that footage that you captured there. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what her reaction was? Well, according to Tina, the footage that we got is the first video footage of an apparition, actually, that they've caught. Other than what TAPS caught on uh, their thermal imager, we are the only ones that actually have a video video of an apparition in Waverly. And uh, I know that um, that video is on our message board under the Share the Evidence section. So uh, be sure to check that out at uh, SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, I think we should go right to the phones here, Matt, because the phone is ringing. So let's uh, see who this is. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I'm, this is Keith calling. I just wanted Hi, to Keith. call in for just a minute. Hi. We're, we're out in Foster at a haunted mill site location. Oh. A group of uh, myself and uh, several other members from New England Anomalies Research. And, and so, uh, for those unfamiliar, this is Keith Johnson. You might know him from uh, television's Ghost Hunters and his frequent appearances here on Spooky South Coast. Keith, you're going to be with us next week in studio, right, to talk about yes. New England vampires. Yes, indeed. I will be there. I cannot wait for that one. So now, I'm what's, looking forward to it. What's right going now, I'm at, I'm at a haunted mill site out in the midst of the woods in Foster, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. What are some of the reports that you've had from, from that location? Well, we're getting some activity tonight. It's, uh, it's the Rhode Island's officially haunted mill site because it's listed on a, an 1885 census, but we've been getting some activity tonight pretty good. Uh, we've had two of our members had their uh, shirt tails tugged. Um, one of our members has seen, I don't know what it was, but uh, it wasn't one of our group in the distance. 
there was no noise or anything, but uh, she saw a couple of legs walking behind her, and then it darted behind a tree. So wow. we are getting a few things here. So I just wanted to call in and keep you posted here. Oh, uh, thank you, and, and please call us at any point if, uh, if anything else occurs. We'll have to uh, talk about this, too, next week. Don't, don't let me forget. Oh, we certainly will. And uh, so things are going pretty hot and heavy here, and I just wanted to check in with you and say hi. Well, we thank you for that. And hello from uh, all of our members here in uh, New England Anomalies Research as well. Good hunting, Keith. Thank you very much. We need it tonight. <laughs> all right, thanks. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, stay safe. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. That is uh, Keith Johnson of New England Anomalies Research out in the field. Uh, a live report from out in the field. We have another call lined up here. The phone lines are lighting up. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, Tim. How you doing? It's Theodore. Hey, how are you? All right. Yeah, I'm having a hard time getting you guys in tonight. But I, I just wanted to check in with you, make sure you guys are still out there. Oh, yeah. We're here. We're always here. Who you guys got lined up for tonight? We are talking to Belinda Nash, who uh, helped clear the name of Grace Sherwood, uh, an accused witch from Virginia. And we have uh, Keith and Derek in from Capers. We're going to talk about UFOs. Matthew in there? He is here, of course. And, and here. Professor Moniz? Professor Moniz is here as well. I'm here. Man, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tune you guys in, and, and I got some... Uh, I don't know, I'm getting, like, Avril Lavigne, and I'm getting, like, all sorts of stuff that's just not spooky South Coast, and I was just hoping you guys are out there. Well, you know you know what happens when, when you start putting the paranormal on the radio. All kinds of weird things happen. Yeah. Well, we, we thank you for checking in, and uh, remember, if you can't hear us live, you can always check in the next day on SpookySouthCoast.com and on iTunes. Okay. And, and, and you'll be able to hear it that way as well. So no Wait, no ghostly activity where you are, though. No, not not yet. Okay, maybe later on. It's definitely going to get weird and paranormal by the end of the night, I'm sure. All right. All right, thank you very much, Theodore from Wareham, checking in. All right, so uh, there you go. The phone's uh, lighting up already here on Spooky South Coast. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we will have for you Belinda Nash, who will talk to us about the case of Grace Sherwood, about the the way that they tried and convicted her of witchcraft way back in the 1600s, and then we will find out about the whole process of getting her pardoned. And in addition, Belinda has told us she has some exclusive information for us about whether or not Grace Sherwood is still around, so stay tuned. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services, including Reiki, Kuan Yin, magnified healing, and meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations knowledge staff has over 40 years experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at Verizon. It's supposed to be night. Something evil's lurking in the dark. 
Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. And if you want to join in the conversation, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, of course, you just heard the spot for our new sponsor, Crystal Expectations, located on Brock Avenue in the south end of New Bedford. I had a chance to stop in there for the first time the other day. And, uh, really, everything that you could need, uh, it's definitely a place that you want to check out. I, I highly recommend it. And we're going to have... Uh, have them on as a guest in the future just so they can tell us a little bit about what they do there because in addition to selling items that might be of interest uh, to our listeners, they're also there for, you know, to hear your story and to, and to lead you in the right direction if you need help. So they do all kinds of readings and things like that. So check them out, Crystal Expectations on Brock Avenue in the South End. It's, it's right on your way to the baseball field. So, And on the line we have... Our first guest of the evening, she is the volunteer director of the Ferry Plantation House in Virginia Beach, and uh, she's going to talk to us about a very interesting case that you may not have heard about. Of course, here in Massachusetts, we hear all about the Salem Witch Trials, but we forget the fact that this took place other places as well. So Belinda Nash is our guest, and she's going to tell us about the only woman ever tried and convicted of witchcraft in the state of Virginia. How are you tonight, Belinda? Oh, just fine, thank you. And, uh, and... Why don't you tell the, the listeners who might be unfamiliar just the basic story of who Grace Sherwood was and what she went through. Uh, Grace lived in, in the area called Pungo in Virginia Beach, and uh, she was married, had three sons, but she knew a little too much for her own good. Uh, she helped others. She grew herbs. She was a healer, a midwife, and um, she was a friend to the children and the animals, and her father had left her 195 acres of prime land, and the neighbors were very jealous of this. And so this is where her problem began. They accused her of witchcraft. Uh, she worked the land. After her husband died, she didn't remarry, as most women did in the 1700s. And uh, so she had powers, so they said, you know, because... No woman at that time would wear trousers to work the fields or um, use herbs to heal. And so they said she was in league with the devil. And, you know, you hear these stories about, uh, you know, early America and and some of these witchcraft factions and, and whether or not they were actually satanic in nature. But, I mean, it was actually kind of common for people to be accused of, of witchcraft if they were even the least bit out of the ordinary. It'd be enough to start getting the neighbors riled up. Well, and here, this was 12 years after your trials up there, and so it sort of had died down. But then when um, one neighbor's bull died, they said that Grace put a curse on the bull, and the cotton blighted, and so they said that she caused this to happen. Another lady miscarried her child, but Grace was a midwife, you know. She may have come to her for help. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe she didn't take that help, but that brought the last trial um, to a head. Grace was taken to court 12 times and accused of witchcraft. And uh, after <clears throat> Mrs. Hill miscarried her child, she beat Grace barbarously, the court records said. And so Grace took her to court and won. And her husband, Mr. Hill, 
demanded she be tried in the higher courts because if she were found guilty, she would have been hung. So it would have freed up this prime land and uh, get rid of a so-called witch at the same time. Now, uh, like you said, Grace worked the land herself. What would be the advantage to somebody making crops fail? I mean, were her crops uh, surviving and thriving while others were failing, or was this something that happened throughout the entire Pungo area? Well, some of us are gardeners and others aren't. And you know the wet weather will will um, kill any crop. <laughs> so, um, But with proper drainage, you can look after it. Well, Grace was very smart. Um, she was a woman that... Uh, uh, well, being an only child, see, when you back up and know her whole history, being an only child, there were no sons in the family, so she helped her father in the field. And so she picked up all these things. Grace was not a witch, but, um, you know, she was charged as such. And so um, this past seven years of the 23 years that I've done research on Grace, have been to see justice for this woman. And how was it that you got interested in her tale? I mean, I'm sure living in that area and working, uh, you know, with the history of the area, you must have heard it. But what was it about her story that, that drew you in? Well, as many stories, uh, the truth is not there. People add a little to it. And uh, over a few months' time, when I first came to this country, I'm a Canadian, and uh, when I first came here, I was interested in the history. And uh, so many people told me about Witch Duck Point and, and that, you know, there was a trial back there. Uh, they had said many witches uh, were drowned back there. And uh, as I checked into it, no, that didn't happen. Uh, one one witch, so-called witch, was tried back there, cross-bound, and dropped into the waters of the Lynn Haven. But she did survive. And so out of these uh, many non-truth stories, I, I wanted to find out the exact story. So years went on, and I accumulated a lot of history. And so I felt after 300 years, last Monday, um, July 10th, marked the 300th year, and I thought that she should have her name cleared. And, and when, so it happened. <laughs> when was it that you actually tried uh, to contact the governor and get this done? I mean, how long has this been in the works for? Um, well, the, I, I found out, see, I, I checked into every state that had so-called witches in their trials. So it was uh, many years of research, but it wasn't until the last three months that the papers were in the governor's hands. And so um, because um, some states' vestries which um, uh, caused this to happen could could change um, the fact, you know, they could uh, right the wrong, but and then a magistrate in another state could clear the books, but in the state of Virginia, only the governor can pardon. And, and this might be, I apologize for my ignorance, I should know this, but uh, as far as you know, what about the witches in Salem? Were they, or any of them, pardoned or cleared? Um, yes, uh, there was one that I know of, and that happened in the 90s. Um, so this is something that uh, it, it took a long time to get done, even in one of the more, more famous cases. So oh, yeah. I, I can imagine what it must have been like, uh, the initial reaction from the governor's office when you first contacted them about Gray Sherwood. Well, this had never been done before and uh, in the state of Virginia. And so um, it took a while. And, 
you know, a lot of consideration went into it. And uh, finally, uh, right to the hour, it came through. You know, it was, uh, she was um, prosecuted at, on July 10th at 10 o'clock. And uh, it took till July 10th, Monday, at 10 o'clock when the <laughs> letter was read by our mayor that Grace's name was cleared. And I, I have the, the quote here from uh, Governor Timothy Kane of Virginia, which I will, uh, I will read right now. This is a letter that was written by the governor and read by Mayor, I'm sorry, how do you say your mayor? Myra Orbendorf. Okay. And uh, Governor Kane wrote, I am pleased to officially restore the good name of Grace Sherwood. With 300 years of hindsight, we all certainly can agree that trial by water is an injustice. We can also celebrate the fact that a woman's equality is constitutionally protected today, and women have the freedom to pursue their hopes and dreams. So even back then, they didn't have a constitution yet that guaranteed this kind of freedom, but you know, in hindsight, like, like the governor said, now we have that freedom of individuality, that freedom of expression. And even if she had been a witch, in terms of how we view witchcraft and Wiccan today, mm-hmm. she would have been constitutionally protected to do so anyway. Yeah. So, and now why don't we talk a little bit about the actual trial itself uh, and about initially how they decided to find out if she was a witch. Uh, a little bit of a, a strange technique that they used. Well... Um, as I said before, um, this was Luke Hill. His wife had lost the child. He demanded she be tried in the higher courts. But the justice in Williamsburg said, go back to her home and search her home for works of the devil and get the ancient women of the Linhaven Parish to search her body for marks of the devil. So they searched her home and found nothing. And then the five ancient and knowing women, these are married, and knowing meant they knew the parts of a woman's body. Uh, So they searched Grace, and they found two moles. None of us have moles, do we? (laughs) And so uh, finding these two moles, um, this was proof that Grace was a witch. She was in league with the devil. And then we've heard, uh, you know, being around Salem, we've heard some of the different ways that they tested witches, and, and the, as uh, the governor said in his statement, trial by water. Uh, so what exactly is that technique? Okay, she was taken to the shores of the Lynn Haven, rowed out um, 200 yards in a boat, crossbound. This was tied her right thumb to her left big toe and her left thumb to her right big toe, so that there's a cross fashion, and she was dropped into the water. Um, she sank to the bottom if she were to sink and drown, she would be innocent. If she were to float and swim, she was guilty. The pure water was casting out this evil spirit. It's well, Grace could swim. It's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. That's really. right. And like you said, she could swim and she was able to float, and so that pretty much made up everybody's minds for them. Yes. And, but there was a trial after that, right, a, a formal courtroom trial. Yes. Um, they then took her in shackles, so the records say, back to the courthouse where she was imprisoned for an indefinite amount of time. It wasn't till this happened in 1706, and it wasn't until 1714 that her property was given back to her for the payment of back taxes. So we don't really know. Those exact records aren't there that say she was jailed for that whole time, but where was she? You know, apparently her sons were on Knott's Island with relatives. 
she had to pay back taxes for her land, so she wasn't on her land to be able to pay them each year. So um, we just have to presume she was jailed for the whole time. But once she did uh, get out, uh, her name was eventually, uh, well, her name wasn't clear, but she was eventually released from jail. Uh, yes. And she was able to go home and live out her life. Uh, do you know through records or anything uh, how her life was after that? I mean, was it like Lizzie Borden was here, where she, you know, she had to live the rest of her life with people whispering about her behind her back? Um, in the in the court records, and I've gone through them all, not one mention of another um, trial. You know, uh, twelve had come about. Um, over the years before her last trial in 1706, but not a whisper of one after. And so she lived out her life in Pongo till age 80. And um, and then the rumors started, you know, all the folklore that went with it the night she died. And and but it's just been dramatized more or less. Age 80. Now that's an interesting factor because most people back then didn't live generally past 45. Right. But Grace worked with herbs, so, and she looked after herself and um, worked the land. And uh, you know, if you're if you're healthy, you live longer, right? Now, one question that I, I feel I have to ask, just in, in fairness, and, and I know your passion for Grayson, and, and we spoke on the phone earlier this week, and, and you spoke to me just about a lot of how so many women were persecuted for witchcraft unjustly, but how are we certain that Grace wasn't a witch? Well, all of the things that Grace did were normal things that, that we all do today. And exactly, just, exactly. just because um, most women worked in the house, they looked after their children, they cooked, they sewed. Grace worked outside. She was, you know, different. As I said, she was an only child. She helped her father work this 195 acres. So right away, um, oh, she listened to Mother Nature. So that put her one step, you know, away from the rest of the women. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well... I mean, it's just, I just had to ask that, you know, in fairness, because for somebody who's dedicated so much time to, to clearing her name, we just want to make sure that we... we, we and in her own defense, all she could say is, I be not a witch, I be a healer. And, but back then, unfortunately, that wasn't as accepted as it was today. Right. And what's your theory, uh, what's your views on people uh, accused of being witches today? I mean, even today, you... There's still that negative connotation with Wiccan religion and people who, quote-unquote, are witches. Well, I guess everyone's free to do what they want to do, but um, uh, and I know people that say, yes, I have the powers, but um, I, I don't believe in, in witches' powers. I, I've uh, co-written a book on <clears throat> ghost witches and weird tales of Virginia Beach, that doesn't believe, you know, that doesn't make me believe that there are witches. I've just written down um, things that people have told me that they've seen and they believe in. So um, The folklore and the history of it. Yes. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we will talk to Belinda about some of the, the paranormal happenings that are still going on today. So uh, you want to stay tuned for that. And uh, Belinda, nothing happening right now as we speak, right? 
No, not as we speak. Okay, because we, we had a call earlier in the show from uh, from one of our regular contributors who's actually out on an investigation, and, and they're getting their shirts tugged and having all kinds of experiences. So we don't want anything to happen to you. No, nothing's happening here. Okay, so stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Once upon a time, there was a typical American girl. This girl is a witch. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, Matt Moniz and Matt Costa along for the ride. And, of course, we have Derek Bartlett and Keith Kessner of Capers in the studio. We'll talk to them in the second hour. Right now we are talking to Belinda Nash about the case of Grace Sherwood. But before we get back into that, our other line is ringing, and it may be Keith Johnson out in the field with an update. So let's check in. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Oh, how you doing? All right. I'm not Keith. Okay. Well, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's good news, actually, because that means that Keith is wow. safe and sound for what the moment. What am I supposed to say? Where's my cue? <laughs> <laughs> actually, I really wanted to call today. I like your show. Thank you very much. I do. It's it's, it's a little different. It's uh, and your guest, uh, the one from Salem. Uh, yes. Well, she's from Virginia Beach, but oh, we, Virginia Beach. We're incorporating some of the Salem witch stuff uh, in as well. I haven't been there since I was, it was a, a field trip since I was, uh, I don't know, back in 1969, but I was fascinated by that. And it's, uh, it's still today. It, it, they really play the witchcraft angle up, uh, not only for tourism, but to help keep the injustices of what happened to some of those people alive. She's, she's very knowledgeable. She sounds very, very informative, and I, I, she's a great guest. In the future, we're going to be talking about uh, Salem witches uh, a little bit closer to Halloween, so... Well, how about, um, I, actually, I just really want to mention to you about, uh, I mean, ghosts in houses in mm-hmm. Bayhaven, yep. the old captain's places, because I, I live in the old captain's house, and I had a lot of different uh, scenarios that happened. But I guess you have a guest tonight. I don't really want to bother you with that. Well, but I mean, I'm sure we can spend a couple minutes if you, if you want to share them with us. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was, it was Allen Apartments. It was on uh, Main Street for Haven. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a couple of because, you know, I want guys to come just drive up and uh, put away in a straight jacket, but uh. Well, we won't. We'll send people with EMF detectors and video cameras instead. <laughs> really? Well, I, I heard they happened in Fairhaven. They did one house. Actually, was on an unsolved mysteries. Was it? Uh, it may have been. I mean, I know that uh, the uh, the Millicent Library has a history, and a lot of the stuff down uh, down toward the water has really been uh, under scrutiny for years. Right. But uh, we we actually have uh, in the studio in the second hour. We're going to be talking with a gentleman from Capers, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. They're the people you want to call if you need an investigation done. That's cool. I'll tell you what, I'll listen in and uh, maybe give you a jingle later. All right, sounds good. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Yep. Uh, and Belinda, you're still with us, right? Yes, I am. Okay, sorry about that. We like to keep the lines open so that people can call in and share their experiences because we find that it's 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 not... Uh, it, people still, even though we've been on the air here since January talking about this stuff, uh, still people don't feel comfortable. So uh, whenever anybody does call in, we like to give them the opportunity because it, it might have taken them a while to get the courage up to dial the phone. Right. 
Okay. Now, uh, speaking, of course, of, of uh, haunted houses and haunted happenings, uh, when we spoke earlier in the week, you were telling me that there's uh, some paranormal activity surrounding the Ferry Plantation House. Uh, because Now, that's where part of the trial of Grace Sherwood took place? Um, on the land. Um, the land of Ferry Plantation, it was quite large. There were two courthouses on the property, and Grace Sherwood was tried in the one, and then that was a timbered courthouse. And then, of course, when it was dilapidated, they, they built another courthouse, which is part of the Ferry Plantation House today. But, yes, there is a lot of activity go on in that place. And, actually, it's comforting. Many people come back there because they feel that they've sent something, whether, whether it's a loved one that's gone on, but they feel that at times they're with them. They come back to Ferry to feel comfortable because they know it's a comfort zone to them. And I've been at that house all night sometimes. I don't live there, but working. And uh, you hear the creaks and the footsteps. Um, I've only seen one ghostly figure, and it could have been something in my imagination going up the stairs, but many people have cited it before. But I'm not afraid to be in that house. And, uh, well, you say that you find uh, the spirits to be comforting, and do you think that Grace might be one of those spirits? Um, I don't know. Um, some people have said that they've they've seen Grace, but um, see, other than the composite drawings of her, I really don't know what she looked like. Yeah, that's it, true. Just, There's not a lot of uh, drawings or imagery of her uh, that right. survived. To um, to have the sculptor make the um, statue of grace i sent him five artist drawings over the years one is 150 years old and um, so he put them all together and came up with a likeness of grace so that's what the statue will be like and i heard uh, one of the doing a little research online i found a lot of people refer to her as strikingly attractive oh yes yes in the court records it says she was attractive very unlike the uh the typical witch uh connotations that you hear well and see when you're outside you're tanned because you know nature's about you you're healthier women indoors were sickly looking i mean the smell of smoke constantly breathing it in Um, that's tobacco country down there right yes but um well from the wood fires you see step back Uh, in time constant wood fires so it was an unhealthy environment but you know yourself working outside it's healthier for you and um a nice tan skin is is makes women look nicer anyway <laughs> so um and now getting back to some of these uh these experiences that you've had down there uh, you said you've seen a spirit yourself yes i believe it was yes and um it was kind of like out of the corner of your eye type thing or uh looking straight on at the staircase and then i double checked after i'd seen it um, there were no window shutters open to make a shadow coming from outside go against the wall, but it just looked like something in the figure of a body was rising up the stairs and turning the corner. And I tell you, I grabbed my chest because now I've written down well over 70 stories of sightings at the place. You know, and some of them I compare and uh, People will tell me exactly what they have on, and and so I've come up with eleven likenesses of the the same.
spirit, maybe, as you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, roaming the house. But the day that I'd seen this, I just, uh, it was my first experience, like, other than hearing the footsteps. Now, that could be anything. I try to make, <laughs> as, as we all do, we try to uh, make some sense of everything, but same place. It's just like someone dragging their heels and walking on the third floor all the time. Now, I understand that, uh, that the building is a, a historical monument and that there has to be care taken uh, to try to keep everything. You know, I'm sure you have a lot of uh, fragile antiques and, and yes. the like around the home. Mm-hmm. Have you ever considered having an investigation done, a, a paranormal investigation? Oh, m- many have been done. Oh, okay. Yes. Have they captured any kind of uh, evidence that well, you know of? The, the last ones that had done it, well, since the trial was coming up last week, uh, they had phoned me, and, and uh, they said, we, we've got some. Now, you told me what that machine was called, EP something. The EMF detector? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had gotten some voices on it. Not that the human ear could hear uh, without the machine. The electronic but, voice phenomenon, EVP. Yeah. And so um, they said, we have to get with you so you can hear these voices. And names were being called and whatnot. And, see, I haven't had time because of... Um, all of the all of these reporters calling me, <laughs> so uh, I'm anxious to hear that because they said you'd be very surprised to to hear what we had found. Um, each time, um, some come in with their. See, I'm not familiar with the equipment they use because mm-hmm. I'm not into this. But well, if you tell us what it does, we can tell you what it's called. Okay, um, it it showed um, heat detection or something. I, I I was standing there beside the one man, and he had this thermometer that shone a red a red line to the window. The window was sixty degrees. The wall was seventy two. At the end of the bed, where we where I knew someone had died, they didn't. Forty two degrees. Explain that. Well, that's a thermal uh, thermometer. It's a uh, uses an infrared beam to pick up temperature. And then the other thing that they used was something to detect energy. At the light switch on, they showed me, you know, two little lights lit up. at EMF, the... electronic magnetic frequency. Okay. And then up at the light bulb in a non-position, there was two little lights lit up. And at the battery pack of his camera, again, at this 40-degree spot, the whole thing of lights lit up. Oh. Now, that... That was spooky. Sounds very active. Yes. They said there's a lot of activity in, I mean, on all three floors on either side of the house. There was activity going on that I didn't quite understand, but they knew what was going on. And so, um, anyway, they write it all down, and, and uh, so they're giving me uh, a tape of these noises. But um, I know the voices they've heard. It's been told to me, I mean, 35 years ago, people came back about six years ago and told me that they had heard names being called in the house. And I know all of those names. Um, They can describe, like, these are different people. It's not always the same person. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they'll describe the clothing they have on and um, where they are in the house, on the property, and um, so you know there there must be some truth in this, oh, but absolutely. it it isn't it isn't scary though, you know it's 
Well, I don't know. It, a, a lot of times, though, it, it you know, it's only scary because it's unknown. That's what makes it scary. And if you know some of the history behind what went on there, and, and you know, uh, not not only about what happened with you know the the trial of Grace Sherwood, but just in just the history of the area overall. I mean, this is you know your relatives, your your ancestors, and you have to feel comfortable around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Even um, I'm no photographer at all, but with my digital camera, we we had a professor out at the house doing some work at the house, and he needed pictures all over the house. And um, we have a fellow, um, he does the ghost walks at the beach, and, and he sells my books for me at the beach. So we came out to get some more books, and this professor's working away, and anything happened today, Belinda? No, nothing today. And... Uh, the professor wants to take pictures of our antiques. Well, he brought three cameras with him. All three did not work. One, the shutter wouldn't open. Something else happened. And I said, I've got a video camera. We'll go around the house. And I had been using this for about two hours before. Couldn't get that video camera. Like, all within the same 15 minutes. I said, well, come on, let's go outside. I'll take pictures with my digital camera and print them for you. So we went outside, started to take pictures. And uh, right when this fellow that does the ghost tours came by, I was taking a picture of Fairy straight on. And then I went in the house to print it. There was a whole haze around the house as if it was tumbling in on the house. And... Now, is that strange? You know, he says, anything happening today, Belinda? No, I'm clicking the picture. And, then, and, and I didn't make this happen. I don't know enough about cameras to make anything happen with them. Just You were just uh, inviting it in, and it took full advantage. Well, right. We're, it, we're, we're coming up on the news, Belinda. We're sorry to, to cut okay. this short. Um, but we will uh, keep people up to date on the, uh, the statue progress of getting the statue put up for Grace Sherwood on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll keep you up to date. And, uh, of course, before we go into the second hour, we do have a call on the other line. We just want to check in in case it's Keith Johnson. Okay. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? All right. Okay. I just wanted to tell you because I'm really the one who experienced it. I lived on... Um on Main and Union Street in Fairhaven, Captain Allen's apartment. I, I, I don't mean to, to cut you short here, but uh, can I ask you a favor? Yeah, sure. We're, we're up against the news break here at 11 o'clock. We have to go to the CBS News. Can we have you call back in the second hour to share this with us? All right, right away. Or you want me to wait until your guest is finished? Uh, why don't you give us a call at about 11.15, 11.20 or so. All right, no problem. All right, thank you very much. You're welcome. And, and, Belinda, we thank you for joining us uh, on a Saturday night, taking time out of your schedule uh, after having to talk to just, just about every news outlet in the world the last couple of days. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, I've enjoyed it. Oh, and, and please keep us up to date. Uh, you have my email. Let us know the progress of the statue, and, and uh, we will talk about this case more in the future, I'm sure. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Belinda Nash, the volunteer director of the Ferry Plantation House in Virginia Beach, and the woman who almost single-handedly helped get the name of Grace Sherwood cleared, the only woman tried and convicted of being a witch in the state of Virginia. Or is Virginia a commonwealth? I think they're a commonwealth, but it doesn't matter. She still got her name cleared. And uh, we are coming up, as I said, on the news. In the second hour, we will talk to Keith Kessner, 
uh, of the Cape Islands Paranormal Research Society about his upcoming open meeting lecture next, uh, I'm sorry, two weeks, July 28th, talking about UFOs. And it's going to be an interactive presentation, so he needs all of you to come out there and share your beliefs and your experiences. And, of course, we'll also talk to you uh, about your experiences with the paranormal in the second hour as well. So, uh, as I told that woman, feel free to call us in 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, of course, you can reach us all week long on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. We have the message board there. You can email us, uh, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We may have the prototype design of the first Spooky South Coast T-shirt ready as well for all the people that keep bothering us about it. I don't know why. I really don't. So we've saved you the trouble of having our faces on it, and we've come up with a pretty simplistic design that we may have available to you by the end of the week. So stay tuned for that. Again, I don't know why. I guess the Salvation Army could always use a couple more T-shirts on the rack. So stay tuned here. We'll be right back after the CBS News with more of Spooky South Coast. Myself some mittens, and I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting, 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 knitting. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. You're a googly moogly. WBSM, Tim Weisberg here, Matt Costa behind the controls, science advisor Matt Moniz is in the building somewhere. I know that uh, Matt Moniz is here and Derek Bartlett, president and founder of Capers, they're out somewhere together with a couple of EMF detectors, so who knows what they're up to. Maybe they could find the uh, mysterious spirits that haunt the spooky studio and figure out why it is that uh, our computer misfires and our our board doesn't light up and, and all that kind of stuff, so... I don't know if they'll get to the bottom of that or not, but they're welcome to try to. 
Uh, also, uh, we'd like to remind uh, everybody, if you'd like to call in and share your experiences, as we told uh, that caller before the top of the hour. Again, we apologize for that. We're required to take the news break, but we do want you to call back as soon as we're finished with the Week in Weird segment. And if you want to call in, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. And, of course, you can post your questions on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. Just go to that website, click the message board, go to uh, the live show chat, and you can talk there. And we have some other stuff in the works uh, in terms of the Internet capabilities of our show. We'll keep you posted on that as well. But right now, we need to get into something that we like to call The Week in Weird. And our first story comes from the exponent online of Purdue University. Glenn Sparks, a professor of communication at Purdue University, has been researching how the media affects the public's belief in the paranormal. I had done a number of studies early in my career on the effects of frightening movies on emotional reactions that children had, said Mr. S- uh, Professor Sparks. I was interested in the sort of things that scared children in the media at different points in their development and what parents could do to help children who were scared. Sparks noticed that most of the programming, which caused the frightened reactions, were shows that involved ghosts, aliens, and other similar programming. Around the same time, Sparks noticed an increase in paranormal programming. I've always been interested in how media affects what people believe, he said. I just became interested in how paranormal depictions were being framed and what their effects might be on the viewing public. Sparks said he has done about seven studies on the subjects, and he has found that a large percentage of of the public admit to believing in ghosts or have not yet decided whether or not they believe in ghosts. So, And, of course, we talked a few months ago about a study that had come out uh, from major college campuses about the degree of belief in the paranormal and the existence of ghosts, and they found that the higher level of education that people had, the more likely they were to believe in these paranormal occurrences. So maybe it's because they've uh, wised up a bit. So, um, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? This is from the Daily Mail. The uh, world's first 3D crop circle has been discovered in England in the English countryside. The 360-foot diameter formation was discovered in a wheat field in Oxfordshire, England, and gives an impression of looking down on skyscrapers from above. Steve Alexander, a crop circle photographer of more than 15 years, says, quote, it's, it's the first of its kind and it's a very powerful thing to look at. The move from a two-dimensional square to a three-dimensional cube might indicate that these patterns emanate from a dimension of reality we, we cannot access. The, the site is less than a quarter of a mile from Ufkinton White Horse and Wayland Smithy, a Neolithical burial chamber be, built between 3700 and 3400 BC. And the crop circles were often found near the ancient sites, but significant, but the significance of the of this particular design has been increased by the fact that this has been the slowest season for more than 10 years. It's quickly became the talk of the crop circle community, and we'll have we'll have more on the story as it develops. And you can check out a picture of this this crop circle at SpookySouthCoast.com under the Week and Weird section on the message board. Yes, uh, I got a chance to take a look at it a little while ago, and even if it's fake, I mean, even if it's something man-made, it's still pretty impressive. I mean, I, I can't even mow my lawn to get those nice lines like Fenway Park, so I have no idea how people make these crop circles. Of course, one person who does know how to do it because he's done it is our science advisor, Matt Moniz. Uh, you've participated in some of these contests, you said before, uh, making crop circles. 
Well, I didn't participate in the crop circle making. I was there when they had the uh, uh, hoaxing competition. But what's interesting is uh, I, while I was there, I was staying right near where this uh, parent crop circle was uh, formed at uh, Whitehorse, which is near Alton Barnes and uh, another area called uh, Wessex. All right. Well, we'll have to show you that photo and, and get your impression of it a little bit later on. But uh, right now, you have an interesting story for us. Last week, we reported about a gentleman who was uh, in an accident and had all of his uh, all of his brain cells pretty much severed. And then they had regenerated themselves. And so now we have a story about somebody that couldn't quite do that. Uh, so he had a medical team help him regain some of his brain functions. Uh, and Matt Moniz is going to tell us about that right now. Yeah, this comes to us from uh, BBC News. Uh, since it was implanted in a paralyzed man's brain, and uh, it has enabled him to control objects by using thought alone. The experimental setup allowed the man who has no limb movement at all to open email play a computer game, and uh, pinch a prosthetic's hands, fingers. Matthew Nagel was left paralyzed from the neck down and confined to a wheelchair after a knife attack in 2001. He was the first patient to try out the uh, brain sensor. A team of scientists inserted the device, called a neuromotor prosthesis, or NMP, into the area of the brain known as the motor cortex, which is responsible for voluntary movement. The NMP compromises uh, an internal sensor that detects brain cell activity and external processes that convert the activity of the brain into signals that can be recognized by a computer. Although the patient's spinal cord had been severed for over three years by the time of the trial, the scientists found that the brain cell activity, or neural firing patterns, persisted in the patient's motor cortex. The electrodes in the NMP were able to record this activity and is said to it as it is sent to a computer. The computer then translates the firing patterns into movement commands, which could drive computer controls or artificial limbs. A U.S. team behind the sensor, which is based in Massachusetts, hopes that technology can be incorporated into the body to restore the movement of paralyzed limbs themselves. Now, what interests me about that is if they can put this chip into people who've been paralyzed to help regain the functionality of those limbs, what can we do to people that are fully functional? Can we put this brain in there and just basically give them telekinetic powers? Who knows? I'll, I'll, I'm the first one willing to try that. I'll line up. Put the chip in my brain. I don't care. Matt Costa, you have a, a very interesting story for us about, uh, well, hopefully not about our friend Justin. <laughs> So why don't you uh, share that with everybody? I did think of Justin when, when I found this. When, when you told me about it, I wasn't sure it was, uh, if it was him or not. So why don't we uh, tell anyway. everybody about it? A Morrisville, Vermont teenager who broke into a tomb and used a hacksaw to cut, to cut the head off a corpse was uh, sentenced Wednesday afternoon to one to seven years in prison. 18-year-old Nicholas Buckaloo pleaded guilty in a district court to a felony charge of intentionally removing or injuring a tombstone and a felony charge of intentionally disinterring and carrying away the remains of a human body. On April, on April 8, 2005, Buckaloo went into a cemetery in Morrisville, Vermont, and broke into a tomb, opened the lid of a casket, cut the head off the corpse. Then he wrapped the head in a plastic bag and took it home. Buckaloo told witnesses he, in, he intended to leave the severed head out and then would bleach it and turn the, hell, turn the skull into a bong. 
which no, I I don't know what bong is. I have no idea. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, either. we wouldn't know. It sounds like some sort of um, smoking paraphernalia or something like I, that. I did some research, and apparently, this type of pipe is used to smoke marijuana. Uh, people smoke marijuana. I don't know. A new, re- it's new to a me. A real pothead. It's new to me. Pothead. I like that. That's that pretty good. That was... <laughs> anyway. You'll be you'll be sent to a therapeutic community treatment program, where he will uh, obtain intensive counseling and mental health issues. He will remain there for an undetermined period of time, and then then will be turned over to He's the head case. Department of Corrections for up to seven years. Well, Matt, you go to the head of the class for bringing us that weak and weird story. Yes, there's one other skull term I'd like to use right now too, but I can't. All right, now the final story for the week and weird, real quick from Routers. Hundreds of people are thronging to a hospital in the eastern. Now, this is kind of related to that, ironically. Are, are thronging to a hospital in the eastern Indian city of Kolkata to see a patient holding a piece of his own skull that just fell off. This comes to us from our week and weird message board. Uh, thank you, Deb, for uh, for posting this for us. Doctors say a large dead section of a 25-year-old electrician's skull came away Sunday after severe burns starved it of blood. Uh, When he came to us late last year, his scalp was completely burned, and within months it came off, exposing the skull, said Rattan Lal Boga, the the surgeon who who treated the electrician, Sambu Roy. That's what happens when it comes from India, man. That's the problem with the Internet. These stories are global. Later, we noticed that the part of the skull was loosening due to the lack of blood supply to the affected area, which can happen in such extensive burn cases. The piece came off Sunday, and hundreds of people and dozens of doctors now crowd around his bed, where he lies holding on to the bone. The doctor said the skull's inner covering and the membrane which helps produce bone was miraculously unaffected, allowing fresh bone to grow. When the skull came off, I thought he would die, but we noticed a new covering on his head forming, and that might have pushed the dead skull out, the doctor said. And while that's possible, such cases are extremely rare. The electrician was injured and almost killed when he was electrocuted while repairing a high-voltage wire last October. Doctors say a new skull covering has replaced the old one, but I'm not letting go of this one, he told Rudis. He intends to keep his prized possession for life and not hand it over to the hospital when he leaves. My skull has made me famous, he says. So, hey, that's using your head. That is the week in weird, and of course, if you want to submit stories to us, go to our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. You'll find the week in weird section there, where you can drop off the entire story or just a link, whatever it is that uh, that makes you happy. We didn't put the picture up of the guy with the skull on the message board, but uh, Deb did link to it, so you can see the guy sitting there holding his own skull, if that's the kind of thing that turns you on. We'll be right back after a brief break. We will go to the phones to talk to that caller, and then after that, we will talk with Keith Kessner about UFOs. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Is everything ready here on the dark side of the moon? Play the pop tones. Oh, man. 
the now world-famous work of the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Wow. All I'm thinking is just uh, what you're going to learn when you actually start going to school for this stuff. I know. Are you excited about that? Should we, should we tell the spooky South Coast audience that you're, you're going to school to learn this stuff? Sure. <laughs> All right. So it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because just the stuff he's been able to figure out already, who knows what he's capable of. World domination. They can give me way too much credit. Wait, Wait, I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll do this because we have this kind of power. We'll do this. Just wait till wait till my face is on a T-shirt. No, well, we're working on that. But what, what I want everybody to do out there is, if you enjoy the work of the Silent Assassin, he's going to kill me for this. If you enjoy his work and you like the bumpers and the theme songs and all that stuff that he's created, drop him an email uh, at spooky crew at spooky south com, or you can go to him directly matt at spooky south com. let him know what you think boost his ego a little bit because uh he deserves it he does a great job and he won't take the credit for it so and of course that bumper was all about ufos which we will get into in just a minute with keith kessner of capers but first let's go to the phones uh we want to give these people a chance to share their story we've made them wait long enough good evening you're on spooky south coast Good evening. Hi. Sorry about that. Oh, that's no problem, okay? It's like, actually, I'm hesitant to call because I'm not known for being, like, um, unintelligent or silly about things. I'm pretty um, sensible mm-hmm. most times, well, inconsistently. Anyway, I did live in Captain Allen's apartment, okay? I lived there for probably four years. And I'm going to tell you the things that I experienced. Oh, and I might add right here that... The weird stories aren't that weird. You know that a lot of us, that it's electricity. The guy that was electrocuted, mm-hmm. we only use like 10% of our brains. It's like people who are telekinetic probably use more. And uh, neuro, you know, neurotransmitters, synopsis, it's like I can understand that. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, I'm going to go back to when I lived there because I'm one that will will deduce everything. I don't. I don't, like, want to believe anything, like, just irrationally. I just, like, see what makes sense and what doesn't. This is what happened. I went up into the attic because I lived on second floor. There was an attic above us. I went upstairs. I was looking for a turkey pan, you know, the, the blue ones with the white dots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was holiday season, and I'm up there by myself, which I don't think anything of. It was in the afternoon, and I was looking through all the boxes of things I put in the attic for the turkey pan. It was our first Christmas there. We moved in December first, okay? And I could hear like I could hear like like sounded like footsteps in the attic. So naturally I assumed it was I said, Oh shit, don't I, excuse me. I said, Oh, don't tell me we have we have mice or squirrels or something in the walls. But I could hear it and I felt, I had like a weird feeling. Is somebody up here? So I called out. Nobody. I just had that feeling. And I looked and I looked. So I started walking down the stairs and all of a sudden, I had that. I had the door that leads right into my apartment because you entered the attic to my apartment. I'm walking downstairs and I felt this like ice cold rush, like 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 when a kid messes with you and runs past you. And the door slammed in front of me, so I just opened it and I just thought nothing of it. So I just made sure because the door latched well. I made sure that it wasn't drafts or anything, and then I I forgot about it. Then one night I was in bed. This probably was about a few weeks later. I was in bed, and, like, um, I heard the sound. We had those, like, those like glass cabinets in the pantry, mm-hmm. glass doors, and I heard, like, a sound. I knew they were closed. I always latched them. I got up to see what fell, what happened. It was a, it was a glass. It was, like, a shot glass, and those don't break easy. They could be pretty, pretty lethal. 
but the doors were wide or, open or for be, no reason. You got to be pretty drunk to break them too. Trust me on that. Oh, one. believe me, I wasn't hammered. I know. I know. No, but I'm, I'm just saying from my experience, I've right, broken right. a few They're myself. Right, right. They're You could, you could, you could kill a customer with those if they messed with you. They don't break easily. The fact is, it was just sitting there on the floor with the doors wide open. There was no reason for it. Didn't think about anything about that either. Just thought maybe I had left it open and it fell out. Because I'm not one to just, you know, believe that. Mm-hmm. So I, so I, so I would keep checking the door that that led up to the attic, and I always made sure it was it was closed. But I would find it open constantly, and so I, you know, I thought, no, oh, maybe drafts or whatever. And then, then one time, right, it was like Christmas time. We had a fireplace. I had like the lights all around the fireplace. Those little, those little cheap lights. I never felt malevolence or anything like that, and I didn't want to believe it was like I. Call, I ended up calling it, calling whoever it was or whatever it was. Al, my cats always knew. They would just sit there and sit there and like oh, meow like in front of that sense, door. The cats knew. Sometimes they'd sit looking up into the fireplace, which was where the chimney went up through the through the attic. But that it wasn't even that so much. It wasn't. This was it. I was. I was the Christmas lights around the fireplace. I had them plugged in. They went out. So me, I'm. I'm not rich. I started checking every light to make sure it wasn't like one loose light. And and I couldn't find what was wrong. So I unplugged the lights and I went into the pantry to, you know, I was cooking. I went to the pantry. I come back out and the lights are lit. And I, and I knew it was unplugged. I checked the plug. It was unplugged. I figured if he could do that, he could clean house. It didn't happen, but I called him Al anyway. And he was just, I could feel him around all, not all the time, but every so often. I had a neighbor across the hall who had, who could also feel him. Like he said that one time he was sleeping and he felt like, he thought it was a cat on, like jumped on the bed, but it wasn't. It was just like that feeling. It's just a feeling. And I, I just tried to alleviate every possibility. Well, absolutely. But the yeah. kicker was when I was moving, you know, four years later, the, you know, my um, I had a fish that was in like one of those big snifters, like the kind they put they put on pianos to take chips. A great big snifter. And I had like one fish in it, in the water, and it was on the table. The room was empty except for, except for the table. It was on by the window. And I came home, and it was sitting in the middle of the floor, not a drop of water around it. And like my, um, my bow works, and he works in Norton, so I knew his hours. I knew he wasn't home. I called anyway, and I said, hey, have you been home? You know, did, did, you, move, did you move the fishbowl in the middle of the floor? Nobody could have gotten in my house, okay? And, like, if the cat had knocked it over, it would have spilled. It wouldn't be, like, it wouldn't be in the center of a room, mm-hmm. just sitting there like it was placed there. Not a drop spilled around it, and it was just inexplicable. I feel if I can't explain anything, I feel so stupid even telling anybody this. Because no, no, I try no. not to even tell people this. No, you should never feel stupid. Because, but stories. I can't deny it because I, I tried... I tried to, like, eliminate every possibility before I felt it. Boy, the lights were lit, and I saw the plug unplugged. You can't just look at yourself and say, you know, that it's not there. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It well, just simply happened. That's what we're here for, so you can share these with us, and we don't well, judge. I don't we listen know. To I just story. call him out, you know, and if he could light the lights, I think I could have trained him to clean house, which never happened either. No, no, that doesn't work. No, yeah. no, I know, well, but no, I do have to dead, say you this. Know, let them do what they want to do. I would no, feel no, his no, presence. No. Oh, it was like I didn't bother me in the least. Because, I, like I said, I felt no malevolence or anything yeah, evil well. or anything like that. Just, mm-hmm. like, just messing with you in little ways, kind of. 
Well, I mean, if you're going to be open, maybe like the ghost of Mr. Belvedere will come and he can do all that stuff for you. You know what I mean? Are you Josh? No, you. Like, oh no, I mean I'm. Don't I'm, trifle with me, young man. No, I'm being. I'm, no, because come I'm on. very serious about this. I'm sorry. I, you know, you, it's like. No, you know, we're serious about it as well. Uh, well, I don't think it's so spooky. The music you play shouldn't be spooky. There are inexplicable things. Well, because. We're not trying to make it, I mean, it's spooky South Coast, but we're trying to make people feel comfortable sharing their experiences so that you know that what happened to you isn't, you know, it, it isn't unique. It isn't just something that only happens to you. It happens to other people because, you know, it is real and it is legitimate and it's okay. And I have no explanation just as UFOs. I don't know if they're extraterrestrial in actuality. I certainly think that there is a phenomenon somewhere worth investigating. Not everybody can be full of malarkey. But, but that's what we're here However, for. However, I don't believe in anything. A, a lot of things are possible. Some are highly improbable. But I don't count anything out. Well, I try to keep my to mind, mind open yeah. so people can drop things into it. Exactly. But I that's... sift through what I you know, maintain and what I do not. I just don't want to look like a damn fool because I'm not. And I was very hesitant to call. And if it hadn't happened to me, I would have called. No, you should never feel hesitant to call and share your experience with us because we have... People who. Well, that's the only experience I can actually say that I've had. Well, but you're lucky to have had that. Some people go through their whole lives and never. You think so? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because now you have a greater understanding of, you know, of what's going on, and it opens up different beliefs for you now. When there are things that you can't explain. Well, belief is a belief is a strong word. I know there are inexplicable things. There's no doubt in my mind. It's like when I was a little kid, I used to say, and this sounds stupid, but. I'd say, I see air, because I would always, like, feel like I could, I could see, like, not really, like, shadows almost, like, not all like the time, or, maybe but feel or... things, other things mm -hmm. around me. I don't know what, maybe another, maybe, an, and it hasn't been like that all my life, trust me. I'm, I'm not like that. I'm very, very skeptical about everything. Well, I really am. Course. I try to, I keep my mind open. But I try to alleviate every other possibility before I draw a conclusion. You would make an excellent paranormal investigator. Oh, you think? Absolutely, because <laughs> that's the way you have to approach it. You have to eliminate when, as as the saying goes, you know, when when you look at everything that's known, all that's left that's is the unknown, right. right? Oh yes, that's right. When you when that's right. When you like alleviate things one by one, what's left is usually the truth. Oh, well, but we, we thank I you don't for... know what's true and what isn't, but I just uh, trust my instincts. Well, we want you to feel comfortable always sharing this stuff with us, and that's why we have the guests that we do so that you know you can realize that there are people that are out there studying this, trying to get to the bottom of it, and then maybe someday if everybody's willing to share their experiences and put all this information together, we can figure it all out, and then there you go. The unknown becomes the known. You know I would be very offended if you guys are slapping your knee and yucking it up after I hang up. <laughs> Hardly, no. That's okay. not what we do here at all. I just want to make sure. I mean, we... We do. We have a little. We like to keep it light and entertaining because we want people to realize that we're not uh, some hardcore nuts in here that uh, you know insist that the government is conspiring against us and everything. Oh, and you know, I, we, we, I think they know more than they admit. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. But we're we're just we're just here to try to make this everyday regular conversation so that people can feel comfortable sharing their experiences because you know we want to know ourselves we've had our own experiences and we want to know we want to get to the bottom of it well so. if you can find an entity that can clean house you can just send them here okay absolutely <laughs> Good night. absolutely thank you very much all right we're going to take a, a quick break and on the other side we will get into ufos with keith kessner of the cape and islands paranormal research society their open meeting is coming up on july 28th 
if you'd like to visit with them, hear what Keith has to say, and he wants to hear what you have to say about UFOs. So check out their website, capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com, and we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. There's a touch of madness around here. Paranormal, is that what they're calling your kind these days? Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Will be broadcast. Yes, it will. Right here on WBSM and, of course, online at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, just a little bit of a clarification. I just that, that last caller that was nice enough to call in and share her story, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure she knows me from the sports show, The Locker Room, on Monday night. So she understands uh, just my nature is to crack jokes. I did not mean any offense or, or, or at all with that. Uh, we try to keep uh, the conversation... You know, a little bit light and a little bit free and easy, just so that nobody tunes in the radio and says, "Oh, it sounds like a bunch of nuts on the radio here." You know, we want people to accept this as regular, everyday conversation. So, and of course, you know, for us, it is regular, everyday conversation. It's sometimes it's all we talk about, and that's when you start getting borderline nuts. So, we will talk about UFOs right now with our special guest, who was nice enough to come into the studio. We made him wait all this time. Keith Kessner, the lead investigator for the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, and along with him is Derek Bartlett, the founder and president of Capers as well. Now, Keith, this upcoming meeting that you have on UFOs, you give a presentation on UFOs every year, and each year you try to make it a little bit different? Right, that's, that's correct. Uh, the last uh, couple of years, the first year, I went ahead and did a lot of stuff on Roswell and stuff about Area 51 and then got into some of the Cape Cod sightings. And then the second year, I did a lot of artifacts and then got more into this, uh, uh, what I had found on the Internet, a lot of Cape Cod sightings on about uh, UFOs. And this year, instead of trying to get all of the same stuff compiled together, because a lot of stories really haven't changed over the years, I'd really mm-hmm. like to hear more from the audience on how they view UFOs, how what they think aliens look like, what they think UFOs look like. And, and this meeting is happening uh, on July 28th, Friday, July 28th at 7 p.m. That's correct. At Cape Cod Community College. Really easy to get to if you're from the New Bedford area. You just uh, hop on Route, what's it, Route 3. Uh, down by the Sagamore Bridge, stay on it all the way to exit 6, and then take a left when you get off, and it's right after the Burger King on the right. Really easy, on and off the highway, plenty of parking, and it's it's, it's a great facility to have these meetings because you have the, the PowerPoint presentations, and Correct. you still have enough classroom space to fit people in, and it, it doesn't feel like you're going to a college lecture. It's an actual discussion uh, where people can share their own beliefs and theories, and, and so we want everybody to, to go out there and join in. Now, what about yourself? Have you ever had any UFO encounters? Honestly, no, never, never. Uh, what I like to do is I, I, I like to hear everybody else's stories mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of you know X Files and all these alien movies over the years, but you never really hear too much about uh, personal experiences. And we did have one woman last year who had an experience and said that you know it's like uh, uh, that she was abducted and stuff. And it was actually a, uh, she was um, out there and had the floor for a good twenty minutes. And, and when you hear people talk about experiences on Cape Cod, I mean, one of the first things that must pop in your mind is for a number of years, not anymore, but for a number of years, they had a very active Air Force base, uh, Otis Air Force base, right. was uh, one of the more active bases in the Northeast for a long time. 
how much does that come into account of some of these Cape Cod sightings? That usually would come into, uh, from my personal opinion, would come into uh, big big play. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the sightings, um, you know, so at Capers, what really got me going is uh, uh, Derek got me into getting with the Cape Cod ghost map, and it has a lot of stuff about ghosts and, you know, sea monsters and UFO sightings all over Cape Cod, and it seems like a lot of the sightings of UFOs seem to be in the uh, vicinity of Otis Air Force, Air Force Base. Because when I was younger, uh, I actually lived right on the border of Otis on the sandwich side, and there were certain times of night where you would look out and the signal flares that they would use to planes, it looked like a fireworks show going off, uh, constantly going off. And then at night there would be planes, low-flying planes with you know strange light formations. And it always seemed to me like I was looking to the skies. I was always hoping to see, well, actually I was hoping not to see, but I wanted to legitimize my belief in UFOs. And, and so I had always looked to the skies, and I started to realize that a lot of these sightings might be just misconstrued airplanes. That's a possibility. Uh, I think we have a call here. Let's uh, take it real quick. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, I just want to talk about what I, what I saw some years ago. Okay. Um, and it was a beautiful summer day. Um, me and some friends were playing outside, and... Um, I just happened to look at the corner, and about 15 feet above the corner house, as big as you please, a UFO. Really? Yeah. Now, uh, what kind of shape did it have? What kind of coloration? Or? It was all, all I could see was, well, it was silver. Um, I don't know what to say, classic. Uh, like saucer shape? Is that? Saucer shape, but with windows all around it. Um, uh, I want to, I don't want to say smoke windows, but it okay. looked like real. It was like just thick, thick plexiglass. They weren't transparent. You couldn't see through. No, them. no, not at all. And, um, and it was about fifteen feet above the house, above a third, uh, uh, three uh, tenement house. And, and um, did it just hover there? Did it? Move it was just around? hovering there. That, but you know, I just had noticed it, and it was just hovering there, and uh, I would just I, I called one of the friends. I was, Playing with it, says, "Look, look, look!" And he says, "Oh, that's some kind of new helicopter or airplane or whatever." And he continued running what we was doing. I was about this was '67. I was about 12. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I started walking towards the corner. I wanted to see this, you know, closer. And the uh, closer I got, finally I was up, right up to the corner, looking up. And um, it was awful close to the house. I'd say about 15 feet above it. And, and could could you see the propulsion system at all? Was there smoke coming from it? Or did nothing, it... absolutely nothing. So it, it seemed to be. Uh, it looked underneath. I, I didn't see anything. It just looked flat. In other words, I didn't see any circles or any kind of propulsion system at all. And, and how long did it stick around for? Well, when I walked to the corner, after I when I did get to the corner, I was looking up. I started going close. I wanted to, you know, get to it all. Just. The corner of that house, and that's when it started moving. I'd say east, and I just kept watching. Nothing else I could do, and it crossed the street. And which which town was this in? New Bedford, right down. It was actually it was on the corner of Christian Avenue and Potomska Street. Because I know that there are uh, a long history of UFO sightings in Dartmouth along the coastline. So, I mean, that would kind of play right into that same area. No, it was just this was a beautiful summer's day, clear as a bell. There was no uh, this wasn't a weather balloon. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was a saucer, and it just 
after that, it just went towards the east, and it started going slowly, and I just kept watching it. I ran down the street just watching it, and just it was, it was like a shot was going. Hey, I'm sorry, sir. Did you tell, and tell us what time of year it was approximately? It was July. Oh, okay. It was July, summer. It was perfect. I mean, I saw it so clearly. That's the whole thing. And it just got me that no cars came by, nobody around, just, you know, us that we had been playing in the yard back in front of the Cowboys and Indians or whatever. And it just, and it was like everything was quiet. Didn't hear birds, didn't hear anything. It just, it was just strange. It was just, I just watched it. And I, of course, after that, I ran home, told my mother and father, you know, what I saw. And it just it was amazing. It just, it was perfect. And I'm sure they just dismissed it, right? No, actually, no. Really? No, they were just, really, because I guess I was all worked up. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, it wasn't every day I said, yeah, I saw, you know, a thing in the air or, I don't even know if I had called it a flying saucer, saucer then, but I just said I just saw this thing. I know it was an airplane, just round. It, was yeah, well, it wasn't really talked about a lot then. I mean, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't quite believe what you saw, but they believed that you believed what you saw. Yeah, because it was just a perfect. I mean, it was no. My friend also, uh, he saw. He just he dismissed it. Oh, there must be some kind of new airplane or something. He wasn't concerned with it at all. But I just it was just amazing and why it was over that house. That corner house, it was about, I'd say, 10, 15 feet above it, max. And it was quiet, quiet. It was completely quiet. There was no noise coming from it. All right. Well, we thank you for calling in to share that with us. You're welcome, and uh, have a good evening. Like, we enjoy your show very much. Thank you very much. You're welcome, too. And, and, Keith, in your experiences, uh, your research, have you found, uh, I know that you focus mainly on Cape Cod sightings, but I've heard a lot of... Uh, sightings and experiences around, like I said, the Dartmouth area. And I've heard part of the reason for that might be uh, Colonel Green's mansion, which is right out on the, it juts out into the, uh, off the coastline. He had one of the first radio stations. Uh, Hetty Green built for her son one of the first radio stations in America, privately owned. And so there's this big dish out there that they used to use for that. And I've heard theories that that might actually have been designed to call in UFOs. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I don't know if that's anything. Nah, I haven't heard of that story yet, but I'll look that up. Yeah. Uh, I think Chris Pittman, who uh, runs the the uh, Mass UFO Resource website, I think uh, he was looking into it for a while, and I hadn't heard more about that. But Now, as we were talking before about Cape Cod UFO uh, experiences and talking about how it's close to the Air Force Base, what are some of these uh, reports are? What, like, like this gentleman said that he saw a traditional saucer-type well, have they seen the saucers? Have they seen these rectangular ones, the triangle? What are some of these sightings uh, shape-wise? One of the sightings that I had with me last year at last year's meeting was, I can't remember the year, it was either 1951, 1961, around there, and there was uh, two um, Air Force fighters that were doing um, some uh, what do you call it, recon missions, mm-hmm. just uh, just training, and they had seen something. Uh, they went to pursue it, and then the next thing they know, the thing just disappeared into thin air. And um, I say one of the other stories that came out of Cape Cod is there's a uh, a jet that was pursuing. Uh, a UFO over the Cape Cod area, and they said it disappeared into the Buzzards Bay area. And they still, uh, I th- either I don't think they ever found the plane, mm-hmm. uh, but they said it just disappeared, uh, pursuing this item. Um, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'm going to have all these stories with me at the meet- open okay. meeting on July 28th, just to uh, uh, basically go over everything I've done in the past. 
you're talking about the uh, incident with the F-84 Sabre. Uh, the person that was missing was a Major Suggs, I believe. It's 1954, I believe, is when that occurred. Okay. Yeah, I just couldn't remember the year on that. And uh, when people come and they share their experiences and they share their stories of UFO sightings, uh, can you kind of put, like, a radar on them, you know, to tell how serious they are if they're pulling your leg? Because... A lot of people will have interactions with what they think is a UFO, which we could commonly explain, but they just don't understand uh, the wealth of other things that it could be. You know, to them, an airplane is an airplane, and if it doesn't look like an airplane, it's got to be a UFO. I mean, how can you filter out some of these reports that they're telling you? Well, what I try to do is just I really like to listen to everybody, see everything they have to say, and you actually... If, you know, a lot of the general public, you'll see them go out and say, oh, these people are crazy, they don't know what they're talking about, uh, they're just imagining it. But actually listening to their entire story and see how genuine they are. And there are some uh, some people that, I don't know if she's seen on uh, some television shows, and they get really emotional about things. Mm-hmm. If you see somebody, you know, laughing and giggling about the stories, and they're just going off, and then their stories just get way too out of control. Well, they, can they start sounding like an X-Files episode. Right. So. Absolutely. All right. I think we have another call here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good evening. Uh, this is Mark. I'm a former Capers investigator. just want to say hello to Keith and Derek. Hi, Mark. Hey, How are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> want to say hello to you guys, too. You're doing a great job. I love your show. Thank you. Um, just wanted to throw something else in about the UFOs. Uh, Got to remember that on the Cape is one of the most powerful radar sites in the country. Yeah. And if anything's flying out in the skies, they're going to see it. Definitely, definitely. And also a lot of flight patterns as well. Yeah. But mm-hmm. being UFOs with the with that with the satellite system, that definitely does pick up the analysis. The radar dish that's over there in Bourne. Yeah, the pave pod. Yeah. So, so as these appearance, uh, as these occurrences happen, you know, the the stranger they get, then the more legitimate they must be, because they'd be pretty easily explainable to the knowledgeable resources on the Cape. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, one thing we do want to get to, uh, and we thank you for your call. One thing we yeah, do want to get to is on the message board. Uh, Debbie, another uh, member of Capers, uh, had a question, and Matt Koss is going to read that for us. Yeah. Uh, Deb was just wondering if you had any information on unidentified submerged objects around Cape Cod. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, uh, out of the research that I pulled up in the last couple of years, I haven't had anything for unidentified, you know, it's like underwater or anything. I haven't had anything on that. Yeah, Deb and I were discussing it when uh, the other day, and uh, that was the first time it was ever brought to my knowledge, except until the stories of Atlantis um, or the Bermuda Triangle, seeing mm-hmm. uh, you know items like a submarine-like uh, item. But not, I don't know of any of off Cape Cod being spotted like that. Yeah, I haven't heard any, no. but uh, I mean, some people might not be familiar with the idea of USOs, uh, and so when they might have seen something in the water, it's like, you know, a submarine or something that's top secret that they don't know about. I mean, it's it's because the government is so secretive and the military, especially, is so secretive with a lot of the stuff that they're working on. Uh, people will have these UFO sightings because they don't quite explain, it, especially in the fifties and sixties when. A lot of this technology was new to us, and, and we couldn't comprehend it. Now, because of the advances in sci-fi television and sci-fi movies, you know, we're seeing stuff on film before the government or the military can actually create it. Well, with UFOs, you have a lot more conspiracy theories going on. The government's in secret cahoots with 
uh, aliens from other planets. Mm-hmm. All our technology is from aliens from uh, outer space, and we're not really that smart. So project, project Serpa, I think, is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's all these different, you know, theories. And, and, but uh, I'd have to think that, like like we said before, on Cape Cod, if there was anything going on, it would be hard to hide it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Now, Keith, Keith of course, is our ufologist for Cape Cod's Paranormal Research Society. Me, personally... I don't believe in UFOs. You should. <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't, actually. Um, but I, I had seen something weird in the sky that I couldn't explain as a child over in Lakeville, um, mm-hmm. over Long Pond. Uh, it hovered. It went around. It was probably a good half mile to a mile up. So we saw basically a big, uh, light uh, hover and then jet to the left faster than a plane. It, you know, it almost it went out of sight as fast as it could. It was actually uh, fishing at night. Couldn't explain it. Now, Keith comes re- with reports and everything like this for us. He does our database for Cape Island's Paranormal Research Society. And some of the stories he, he does get, uh, he does receive, I, uh, I tend to start to believe them. And I'm very skeptical, you know, when Absolutely. it comes to that. And I'm skeptical about, you know, skeptical believer, as I like to say. You know, skeptic first, rule out everything humanly possible. What's left over, if I can't explain it, then there's some truth behind something. Last year, during uh, last year's meeting, like uh, I think three weeks before the uh, presentation that I did, there was um, a report on Fox 25 News about, let's say, some Mexican jet fighters were saw lights in the sky and they were pursuing them, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they disappeared. And then, you know, it's like within a week or two weeks, you had meteorologists staying on the news. Oh, those were just lightning balls. That was nothing. And you know, say like lightning balls on a clear sky and. Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that you know everybody try goes to debunk it right away and well, tries the, not to look into it. The conspiracy machine gets rolling uh, pretty early. I mean, before the reports even hit the public anymore, there's already a cover up in place. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can find out all about this stuff and more, and share your own UFO experiences, uh, such as that caller did by attending the Capers Open Meeting at Cape Cod Community College on Friday, July 28th at 7 p.m. Uh, make sure you leave early because now the Cape traffic is going to be heading over the bridge, so you want to get a good head start, and then you'll you'll have a chance to meet with Keith and Derek and some of the other investigators from Capers and talk to them about what it is that they do. Maybe you'll want to join. Maybe you'll, you'll want to sign up and, and go out on some investigations. Maybe you'll want to do some research work for them. I know that they started up a new EVP division as well. Uh, we have just a few minutes, uh, Derek, but why don't you tell us about some of the stuff that uh, Capers is working on. Uh, okay, uh, we've actually just been uh, contacted by Barnstable County to do one of their facility buildings, uh, alleged reporting of hauntings. Um, that's just one of the things coming down the pipeline, as well as a few restaurants that have been contacted us. Right now we're working with uh, a historical society in Yarmouth, putting together a ghost book that's going to be coming out in October. Um, and, uh, of course, if you haven't been to the website, and you plug it so many times. Of course, capers.com. Um, that uh, we run a haunted history to- walking tour in Barnstable Village and our next uh, walking tour is August 4th I do believe there's a dinner tour in there somewhere but I don't have it off the top of my head and it's open to you know anybody to come and private tours are more than welcome and we have had paranormal events happen on the tour but I'm not going to promise you anything Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, the the paranormal is very fickle. You know, you start telling people, you know, you're not going to believe what happens when you come on this tour, and then nothing happens, and then you stop making that promise, and all hell breaks loose. So I actually, uh, we I actually talked to um, 
the woman, uh, Erica Frost, who runs the tours on the Queen Mary, and she says pretty much they can almost guarantee it because so much activity does happen on that ship. But you're talking about a confined area anyway there. So if you want to check out some of these tours and some of the stuff that's coming up, go to their website, capers.com. That's C-A-I-P-R-S.com. And, of course, you can always find links to it posted all over SpookySouthCoast.com. Now, coming up next week, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show when he called in from that investigation. I hope everything went okay. Keith Johnson from New England Anomalies Research and also the demonologist for the Atlantic Paranormal Society is going to join us. He'll be live in the studio with us to talk about New England vampire legends, some of the Draculas uh, right here on the South Coast even. So uh, if you want to check out that show, be, uh, be sure to... Go to the message board all week long and, and let us know some of these stories that you've heard because I know Keith's in the process of compiling a lot of this information. So if you've heard about vampires, I know Onset uh, has a rich vampire history because there used to be a book at the library, and I, I don't know what happened to it, so I tried to find it and I couldn't. So uh, maybe you want to go to our website, go to our message board, and let us know. But uh, we will talk about that next week. We'd like to thank all of our guests from tonight, Belinda Nash, Keith Kessner, and Derek Bartlett, both of Capers. Thank you very much. Hey, anytime. Our door is always open. We welcome you. We welcome your uh, your thoughts and insights. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Show you hoser.